All right. I think I've got this right now. We'll see. Awesome. So uh, we got to hear about the candy cane, uh, something I've not ever heard before. I, I know Kendall said it's a, it's a legend, uh, but still a, a very useful illustration. Uh, and so I think we had first the firm foundation, and then we had, if you turn it upside down, you get a J, and J is for Jesus. And then right side up again, we have the shepherd's staff, because Jesus is the good shepherd. And then the white in the candy cane is to symbolize purity or Jesus' innocence. And the sugar, the, the hysop, is to remind us of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And so this is a great visual uh, representation, a, a good witness to the story of Jesus just in a, in a candy that we always get. Uh, and usually, for me, at least in my house, usually sits in kind of the bottom of the candy bag. But here it is, the witness of Christ in a candy cane. How awesome is that? Uh, and so one of the things that uh, the narrator, narrator mentioned was that the white on the candy cane reminds us that Jesus was perfect and was without sin. Uh, and so we're going to take a look today for our Christmas season at what Emmanuel means today. And so we, we know that uh, the white on the candy cane is that Jesus was perfect. He was without sin, but it also reminds us that Jesus was tempted when he lived on earth. He experienced what it means to be human. He walked among us and yet he was still without sin. As important as the innocence of Jesus is, it's central to the gospel, uh, this also reminds us that Jesus walked in our shoes here on earth. He was present with humanity, with people just like you and me. In Matthew's nativity story, he describes an angel that appears in a dream to Joseph, and here is what the angel says. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 for just a few minutes here. It says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed uh, to, jo- to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This is Isaiah. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, he took his wife. But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And so the angels uh, tell Joseph that they're going to call Jesus Emmanuel, which uh, Matthew puts in parentheses uh, to mean God with us. And this gives us the sense that God is tangibly present, guiding his people, and he's going to lead them to deliverance. If you caught this, the verse before we we see Emmanuel in this passage, uh, it tells of the virgin birth as a fulfillment of a prophecy from Isaiah. It's from Isaiah chapter 7. And in Isaiah, God tells uh, King Ahaz of a virgin birth and that this child will be a sign that God's promise will come to pass. And God in Isaiah is asking King Ahaz to trust in God's deliverance rather than his own scheming here. And we see uh, here that the child is a sign of God's deliverance. 
So the angel tells Joseph that Jesus is the child, Emmanuel, and that Jesus will save God's people from their sins. Jesus is the child, Emmanuel, God in the flesh. So, what does it mean that God came to be with us? And it means a couple things. And the first one is this, is that Jesus is God with us. It's important that we start with Jesus as God. Not, uh, he's not a representative of God. He's not a prophet, uh, not just a mere man, but God himself. We read in this passage that he's going to save the people from their sins, uh, and, and it, only God is able to forgive sins. And so when we look at uh, Psalm 130, verse 8, which is likely where Matthew's drawing from in this, uh, the psalm describes God redeeming his people from their sin. And this is, again, what Matthew was probably drawing on here. And so Psalm 130, verses 5 through 8 says this, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Because Jesus is God in the flesh, he's able to forgive us as the angel told Joseph he would. Jesus being God is what makes the gospel possible. Without Jesus first being God with us, Jesus would be simply just another man. And in Luke, instead, in Luke chapter 2, we read, which we read earlier, the angels tell us, that, that tell us shepherds that a Savior is born. In order for that to happen, we have to start with God being with us. And the shepherds immediately seek out Jesus, and they glorify God because a Savior who's going to redeem the people of their sins, who is with the people, is present with them. It's important that, uh, it is important that God came to dwell with us. Uh, he is infinitely more holy, more powerful, more wise, and more loving than any human, a prophet, any of us could ever be, but yet he chose to make himself uh, known to us in the flesh. And so the second part of Emmanuel is that God is with us. God came personally to be present with us. Even though God's ways are higher than our own, uh, and his power is, is greater than what we can imagine, his wisdom is so far exceeding ours, he still came, he chose to come to earth as a child. He, chose to, he came to serve the least of these, uh, and he chose to teach and encourage his 12 disciples. He came to reach the sinner, the outcast, and to meet them where they're at and show them what hope and what love looks like from their heavenly Father. And in doing so, he has to experience what it is to be human. He experienced joy. He wept when he experienced loss. That's in John 11. He was tempted by Satan more severely than I think any of us will ever be. That's in Matthew 4. He's rejected by his own people. We, I think that's something that we can certainly identify with, but that's his own hometown. That's Luke chapter 4. He's experienced physical pain. He died on the cross for us. And he did all of this so he would, we would know how deeply he loves us. Whatever you're working through this Christmas season, um, for some people it's a lot of joy because we get to be with family, and for some people that very same thing can, can be the opposite. So whether you're working through joy, you're working through loss, pain, grief, any of the above, we have a God who has been with us, who is intimately familiar with what it means to be human. 
Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says this, For we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. God came to be with us so that we would know that he knows us intimately and he loves us personally. It's because of that that he chose to give his life for us. And if we've trusted in him for that forgiveness, uh, then Jesus tells us that he is always going to be with us. Matthew 28, he's speaking to his disciples before he ascends. He says this in verses 19 through 20. Go therefore, we probably know this part, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this promise to be with us always comes later in Acts chapter 1. Uh, Verses 4 and 5, And while staying uh, with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And if you follow through the rest of Acts chapter 1, we see the Holy Spirit comes with power. And so there is great comfort to know that God is with us personally, and he is present And he has actually been present with his people, past, present, and will be continually in the future. And we can can look at the witness of Scripture to see this. If we look at the story of Israel, we can go to uh, the wilderness for them, uh, or to the tabernacle. When they're in the wilderness, they journeyed for 40 years to find the promised land. And God was present with them then. He made himself physically, tangibly present with them. Uh, And it's something that the nation could actually see. He guides the nation as a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. How awesome is that, that you have assurance that you're going where God wants you to go. And then we move forward to the incarnation. And so in Matthew, that's the present, but for us, it's still the past. And we celebrate at Christmas the birth of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And we celebrate that he came, he was present, and that through the birth of this baby Jesus, the Savior has come. And so, as Jesus told us earlier, when he leaves, he now, in our present, has left us the Holy Spirit. And so, once we have believed in Jesus, we know we are indwelt by God's Holy Spirit. And it is through that Holy Spirit that God is present uh, with us now. And it is through that Spirit, he teaches us, he guides us, he changes us, he encourages us as a follower of Christ. And that's not the end of the story, though. As great as all of those things are, we have a future in God's presence to look forward to. And so if we look to the end of Scripture, we look to the end of Revelation chapter 21, we see that uh, if we have believed in Jesus for salvation and we've received the Holy Spirit, that we can look forward to an eternity in the presence of God as we dwell with him in the new heaven and the new earth. And it's there that we'll experience peace, we'll experience rest, and we'll get to behold the beauty of that is God's presence, and I am looking forward to that day. Are you? When we reflect on an eternity in the presence of God, it makes me think of of this psalmist's words in Psalm 84, verses 1 and 2, probably familiar to you as well. It says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! 
My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. And so as we close today, we, we can be reminded of Christ through the candy cane. A simple thing that we carry with us probably for most of the Christmas season. And we can be reminded of Christ through his word, and we can be reminded of him through his presence with us, past, present, and future. And so because of that, as we look forward to a future in the presence of God, and we thank him for being in his presence now today, we're going to turn to him in adoration and in praise. So if you would go ahead and stand with me, let's pray, and then we're going to respond to to God in a time of worship. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for, again, time together, we're thankful for uh, the illustration of the candy cane, God. We're thankful for, uh, God, the firm foundation on which the church is built. Uh, We're thankful for uh, the innocence uh, that your son came with. He lived this perfect life, died in our place so that we might know uh, what forgiveness is and that we could have an eternity, not just forgiven, but an eternity in the presence of a loving and personal God. And God, we thank you for being those things. And so it's now because of those things that we turn to you in praise uh, just to, to offer you thanksgiving and joy. It's in your name we pray. Amen.